It starts with a call. You pull out your phone, look down. The number seems sort of familiar. You press accept. Hello, can you hear me? The voice isn't someone you know, but they seem official. You stay on the line. Can I have the name of the person I'm speaking with? At this point of time, you have to make an immediate payment. You tell them there must be a mistake. You don't owe back taxes. You aren't overdue on your loans. You already paid off that car. No, no, no. You are just making the excuses. You can resolve this matter by paying your miscalculation amount. The caller tells you, no, there is no mistake. You got to pay up. Like right now? Yeah, right now. Or else, there's no escape. We can find you from anywhere. You will be arrested and you will be behind the bars for five years. You have an attorney for yourself. They will seize your bank account with your passport. Will be seized along with your debit card number, your credit card number, or any of your banking information. Finally, you pay. Thank you. It's over. You hang up. And then you realize that wasn't a collection agency. That wasn't your bank. And it certainly wasn't the IRS. It was a scam. How many times have you been on the receiving end of a scam phone call? If you're like me, you get at least one a week. But who's behind them? And how are they getting away with it? From the team that brought you Witnessed, Friendly Fire, the latest season of Chameleon, Scam Likely, is available now. The story follows a small team of government investigators who learn that ordinary citizens all around the U.S. are losing their life savings and millions of dollars to scam callers. They go on an international hunt for the shadowy mob behind the con, retracing the steps of the cops and the crooks looking for the masterminds who got away. They unravel a plot that stretches from suburban Texas to the outskirts of Singapore to a drab office complex in one of the largest cities in India. Take a listen. Tell me about this call that you received. The funny thing is, on my phone, the caller ID showed me 911. And I pick it up. And the guys are like, okay, can you go out of your office and find some, some place where no one else is hearing you? So I started worrying a little bit. This is a guy I'm going to call Dhruv. It's the fall of 2013. Dhruv is living in a mid-sized American city, working in information technology. He's in his late 30s. He walks out of his office building to the parking lot, says, okay, no one else is around. The person on the other end of the line says they're calling from the Department of Homeland Security. Dhruv's heart skips a beat. The caller says there's a problem with Dhruv's immigration paperwork. Unless Dhruv pays a penalty to the government, he's going to be arrested and deported. So, of course, the, <laughs> when I heard, I was scared. So I said, okay, fine, it's fine, I'm ready to pay. You can understand his panic. Dhruv and his wife had moved to the United States from India as students, hoping to build a better life. After graduating, they got work visas and started their careers. They planned to save enough money to buy a house, start a family, make America their home. Being deported would destroy that dream. For a moment, Dhruv wondered, is this really Homeland Security? But then the caller mentioned details that only an immigration official could have known, like the dates when Dhruv had most recently traveled to India. So Dhruv trusted the caller 
and he was going to do what he said. The official said, you owe the government $500 to correct your immigration file. Then he started barking orders. He tells Thruv, go buy a prepaid cash card at CVS. Thruv drives to the nearest CVS, finds the card in an aisle close to the entrance, and pays at the register. $500. A lot of money for Dhruv. He's on the phone the whole time, and the official says, Good. Now read out the numbers from the back of the card. That was the equivalent of transferring all $500. Dhruv starts to relax. The hard part is over. So I think he put me on hold around 10-15 minutes-ish. And then he came back and he said, hey man, looks like your file is like, you know, not corrected. So it definitely gonna cost a lot more now. Dhruv feels his heart sinking, but he had no choice but to agree to pay more. The immigration official gave him the address for a nearby Walmart, where Dhruv bought more prepaid cards. At one point, he hung up and texted his wife to tell her he might not answer if she called. Literally, he called me back and he said, like, why did you text someone? I said, no, I just text my wife only. So he said, no, you're not allowed to call anyone, not allowed to text anyone until we are done. Dhruv was already frightened. Now he was spooked. He felt this immigration official could see his every move. So Dhruv followed orders. Over the next few hours, Dhruv drove from one store to another buying more and more prepaid cards. If a store turned him away because of rules against selling prepaid cards above a certain limit, the official would give Thruv addresses for new stores. I did not drink water. I did not eat anything. Keep driving. I only stop my or park my car. Either I'm going to the store. I stop once at the shell to, to fill the gas. And that also he was Literally saying, ask, keep asking every few minutes, saying, okay, is it done? Is it done? How much more you, you need? The official had bad news. It turned out Dhruv's case was even more complicated than he'd first thought. It was being referred to the FBI. A new government official took over the call. This guy yelled at Dhruv and insulted him intimidating him even more aggressively than the first guy. When Dhruv went to another Walmart to buy even more money cards, the new official told him that a person asking for donations by the entrance was actually a government agent surveilling him. The man's words deepened Dhruv's feeling of helplessness and loss of agency. It was as if he were in a trance, completely under the control of this voice on the phone. The caller instructed him to buy a lighter and burn up all the cards. So I did that actually, but a few of them I did, but then it's also, you know, <laughs> you can't do those kind of things in the parking area as well. So I said, hey, I did it, but I ended, I ended up putting it in my trunk. Dhruv was dizzy and terrified, and more than anything else, exhausted. He couldn't go on. He told the official, he couldn't pay any more. So I don't care now. If you say like I'm illegal and you want me to depart right now, go ahead, do so. Because I don't have money. I can't do anything else anymore. So I'm done. 
the caller finally let him go. When Thruv got home, he searched online and discovered, as he had begun to suspect, that he had fallen for a scam. But it wasn't just him. Something seemed off with his wife. And finally, she told him what it was. She had gotten a similar call that morning and done exactly what Thruv did, frantically driving from store to store, giving more and more money to the scammers. Thruv's nightmare had been twice as bad as he had thought. So that night, both of you didn't sleep? No. Were you just researching on Google what to do next or? No, we were just pretending that we are sleeping. But we both couldn't get to sleep, not even single minute. And you were pretending because you didn't want to upset the other yes, person? Yes, same for both of us. They had lost $30,000. From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, binge all episodes of Chameleon Scam Likely on Apple Podcasts right now or listen weekly wherever you get your podcasts.